0: Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Victory Family. Can we just give you another hand uh, today? Thank you so much for joining us here in the center. And for those of you watching at home, thank you for joining us in our worship service. And um, my name is Pastor Ariel, if you don't know me. And uh, we are one of many different congregations meeting in the metro and today happens to be the you know second week that we are in the series. And yesterday we just finished our discipleship uh, convert. How many of you uh, watch were able to watch the discipleship or join us in our discipleship convergence uh, 2021? We do hope that you are encouraged because uh, it was a great time of worship, prayer, ministry from Pastor Steve and uh, Pastor Ferdy. And uh, this week actually we'll be having some breakout sessions for our leaders. And interns. So, please do join us. Check out our leaders uh, FB page. We're going to have breakout sessions on the marketplace, government, uh, media, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, if you uh, would like to do that, please go ahead and check it out because I think uh, it's going to be on four different nights. And on May 8th, that's going to be on Saturday, we're going to have like another convergence for our local leaders and interns so that we can process and uh, apply all the things that we have learned together Okay, how are you guys doing today? Are you guys doing great? Okay, I'm just looking at your eyes, if your eyes are smiling. For those of you joining us uh, at home, I do hope that you are safe and uh, relaxed. Today we are on week two of our series, Trustworthy. And last week we actually talked about God's faithfulness and that, uh, you know, He's always been faithful to us through His covenant. And we learn that the covenant of God is a way of God initiating his relationship with us. You know, uh, from the covenant with Noah, of course, you know, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, uh, and also with the covenant of Christ. It's God's way reaching out to man. And, you know, God is not interested in just having us, you know, having rituals and uh, religion towards him. How do you know that God is interested in a relationship with us? You know, for those of you who are married, I'm pretty sure that your wife, your spouse, would not like for you to just be ritualistic in your relationship, okay? You know, uh, for example, if me and Shirley would actually just uh, schedule, okay, let's schedule this, okay, by 6 p.m. tonight, we will talk, okay? 6 p.m. But before that, I have a Zoom meeting, okay? So, can you imagine if, I mean, that's in the relationship, but, you know, it's a free flow, it's very organic, and, you know, my wife can just call me anytime, not during right now, okay, because I'm preaching, but, uh, you know, but anytime, she can call me anytime, she can just, actually, sometimes she FaceTimes me, even in the midst of a meeting, and I will actually politely tell her, Lava, you know, I'm in a meeting right now. No, but I, definitely, the, the, the relationship is just like that. You know, Shirley and I happens to uh, happen to love also watching movies together. And, uh, you know, how many of you love watching movies? Okay. Or maybe episodes or a lot of different things, K-drama, whatever. Okay. But, you know, when you talk about watching movies, we, we love watching movies with a victorious theme at the end. I don't want depressing movies. I want movies that are positive in the end. Wherein the protagonist would actually win the war, or you know maybe the villain would win for a while, but yet the protagonist would actually come out victorious and triumphant at the very end. So whether it's an action movie like The Avengers or whatever, okay, or One Division or uh, what's the latest now in in Marvel world, um, uh, the Winter Soldier, whatever, okay, or a K drama series, we want a glorious ending. And today we're going to be looking at the second chapter of Isaiah, and the second chapter of Isaiah glimpse, uh, shows us a glimpse of a of our future that is bright, that is victorious, that is glorious. And we're going to be looking at the you know the, the 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 way that God has provided salvation for all of us, and how God is using each and every one of us to make sure that we will reach out. Uh, different peoples as well in our walk with Him. So if you have your Bibles with you, for those of you watching at home, and for those of you who are here, please open to the second chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2. And we will be reading just five verses today. Okay, Isaiah chapter 2. I'd like to invite everyone to please stand up as we give reverence to God's Word. We'll go ahead and dive into the Word today as we talk about Isaiah chapter 2. 2, 1 to 5. Isaiah, chapter 2, 1 to 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days. what is say, latter days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted up Above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes. For many peoples, and they shall bear their swords, or beat their swords rather, into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity for us to come together as a people, as a church, to experience the saving grace that we have received from Jesus. And I thank you, Lord God, that we long to see that day when all the peoples of the earth will come and worship you. And Lord, they will know you intimately And that we will all walk in the peace of God. Absolute peace where where there is no war, no disputes, no conflict. And we thank you that that day will come. We thank you for that hope that we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may all be seated. Just go ahead and smile with your eyes at the person beside you. For those of you watching at home, make sure that you are, you've already awakened some of your family members. Sabihin sa kanila, 11 o'clock na, or almost 12, it's time to attend our worship service. All right. and so, uh, Isaiah chapter 2 describes a day when uh, God's promises to Judah will be finally realized. And so, we are just on the second chapter of Isaiah, but yet we see that there are glimpses of the future of what is to come. We're talking about the latter days. We're talking about the day of the Lord. We're talking about the second coming. You know, when the anointed uh, of the Lord reigns over the earth. And How many of you are excited for Jesus to return someday? Uh, Some of you are excited, okay. You know what? If you are a believer, there's nothing to fear. If you're a believer, I mean, if you know that is the ultimate day, that when Jesus Christ appears in the clouds, to rule and reign, yes, he will come as a righteous judge, but he will come as a king, victorious, and he will rule and reign. And this is talking about the era of the second coming of Christ. This passage in Isaiah is somehow a small window or a glimpse of what is to come. You know, Jesus came once as a baby. There are two Advents, Christmas. You know, I mean, if you're excited for Christmas already, just a few more months. It's already September, okay. Uh, we're going to celebrate Christmas in a few months. But, you know, we celebrate Christmas, the coming of the birth of Christ. That is the first Advent. And Isaiah prophesied that the coming of the Savior, King, through a baby. And he's also prophesying the coming of the future, the second coming of Christ through this passage. Two Advents. And I believe that when He comes back as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the righteous judge, how many of you know that 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 will be the day of glory? The glory will outshine the darkness. There's going to be no more grief, no more mourning. There's going to be ultimate joy overflowing in, in in the hearts of the people. Come on now. And we believe that that day will come. Peace will actually silence violence. And faith will become sight. You know, sometimes when you pray for, you know, something. How many of you, you know, love to pray? You know, when we pray, we believe God for something. We don't see it yet, right? We're praying for, you know, healing. You know, we're sick right now. We're praying for healing. We don't see it yet. But how many of you know, but by faith, everybody say, by faith. By faith, we will receive healing. But the Bible says, we walk by faith and not by sight. But that day, when Jesus comes, Whatever it is that you're believing for, that is, you're gonna see it right happen right before your very eyes. We walk by faith and by sight. We will see it happen. It will be a glorious day wherein the perfection will appear and sin completely broken. How many of you are looking longing for that day? That you won't struggle anymore. That the temptation will. And in chapter one, last week we talked about that, you know, Jerusalem has been unfaithful to the Lord. In fact. Isaiah ran down some of the things or the accusation of God, you know, in the courtroom, so to speak, about murder, rebellion, you know, injustice, corruption. There's just so much unfaithfulness that the people of God have committed before the Lord. But how many of you know also that God continued to be faithful in His covenant with us, despite the fact that we have been unfaithful to Him? You know, yesterday I was having my quiet time, and you know, this, you know, off off my notes. Uh, and you know the, the, my 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 the scripture that came out was I was reading through the book of Judges and the first word that came out is the word again. In Judges chapter thirteen, it says again. I said again, and then the the succeeding line was this: again, the people of God did evil before the eyes of the Lord. I said, wow, it's almost like a pattern. In the Old Testament, the people of God have been unfaithful to the Lord, but yet God always woos them back to Him. How many of you know that we serve a merciful, a compassionate, and a faithful God despite the fact that time and time again we have been rebellious, we have not been obedient to Him, but yet God draws us back to Him. Amen. We have a faithful God. And we also see that the following verses uh after the text we've just read talks about that as well you know that God's people have forsaken God's ways and so somehow this first two chapters of Isaiah Isaiah chapter one and Isaiah chapter two we see that Jerusalem is both offered with words of judgment and salvation yet in this text promise and judgment are not contradictory realities in fact, Judgment somehow, sometimes is necessary for God's work to be done. It helps in fulfilling the promise of the Lord. Do you believe that? It's, it doesn't sound right. I don't want judgment. How many of you like judge? I don't want judgment. But yet many times God draws us and woos us and wakes us up so that we can actually be on our way to fulfill or to, to, to experience the promise of God. One day Jerusalem the city of God will be turned from alloy to pure metal from from uh, from dust into diamond You know, I believe that there will come a time when you, when you and I are no longer struggling you know right now we're being sanctified how many of you are work in progress God's doing a mighty work in us but that day will come when you and I will be perfect hindi lang kanta Ed Sheeran yung perfect that will become a reality for each and every one of us that Jerusalem will be holy a magnificent magnet for the nations and only after a short season of judgment Jerusalem will be attractive once again to the nations of the world. You know last week I quoted uh from Dr. John Oswald this uh this statement and it says judgment is not God's intended last word. Rather judgment is to lead toward cleansing and redemption, and the hope—the only hope of deliverance—is through what? Judgment. Judgment, I believe, is a way of God purifying us. Have you ever felt the heat of the refiner's fire? You know, yesterday I was driving with my daughter. We went for a brief run to get some lunch in. Landers, and the aircon of my car knows when to act up. In the middle of the day, it was summer. How many of you feel the heat of summer? In it, and then I opened, you know, uh, the the aircon, and I was we were driving, and suddenly, instead of the aircon blowing cold air, it has a mind of its own it decided to blow hot air inside the car. I said, wow, I feel like the refiner's fire inside the vehicle. And yet, we know that God's intention whenever we go through the fire of testing is not to destroy the gold, but it's to purify the gold. And the hotter the flame, how many of you know that the purer the gold will come out, So that when the refiner would look at the reflection of the gold, he would see his own image reflected from that piece of gold that he refined. How many of you know that you are the gold that God is being refined right now? Amen. That God wants to see his image in your life. And we may be going through difficult times, not just most of us, all of us. We're going through a difficult situation. But yet we know that this judgment, so to speak, or this refining moment is not meant to destroy us or annihilate us. It's meant so that God can actually usher in the blessing for us. I remember a scripture in Psalm 66, verse 10 to 12, if I I may read it. Psalm 66, verse 10 to 12, it says, For you, O God, have tested us. How many of you can relate to this? have tested us. You tried us as a silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, everybody say yet, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. You know, say, Sometimes I've spoken, I said, you know, life really consists of two things. Blessings and testings. Blessings and testings. You know, we know that God wants to bless His people, but yet God blesses, tests us as well on how we handle the blessings of God. Blessings and testings. You know, when my children were younger, when they were small, we would actually uh, give them the, the rod of discipline whenever they would disobey And uh, the intention was not to destroy them, but to restore them and to uh, teach them the ways of God and to to, to help restore the relationship that was broken because of their disobedience uh, and their their dishonor. And we want to teach them to honor the authority that they have in their life. The authority, like for the parents, mom and dad, over them and the ultimate authority over their life, who is God. It is not about ego tripping. You know, we're not doing this because I'm bigger than my girls. I'm doing this out of love and out of the fear of God. So whenever I would carefully discipline my children, it's not meant to destroy them. It's meant so that they can be restored to fellowship with me and with God. I'm here to help them walk with God. The Bible says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. How many of you would agree with me on that? If you have babies or children or younger toddlers, how many of you you don't have to teach them how to be foolish? They will discover it themselves because of the sinful nature. But the Bible says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. So parents, if you're watching, it's okay to discipline. It's from the Bible. But anyway, so going back to chapter 2. You know, I want to go back to verse 1. It says in verse 1, what does verse 1 say in chapter 2 of Isaiah? It says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. Everybody say saw. Saw concerning Judah and Israel. It's interesting that when I was reading this, I said, The word that Isaiah received from the Lord, he didn't hear it, but he saw the word. How many of you have seen the word? By reading it, Right? Isaiah had no Bible then. Maybe he had the Torah. But yet, it's interesting that the Bible is saying that he saw, not heard. You know, how can a word from God be seen by Isaiah? Is it like a text message or maybe a Twitter or something? Or maybe something like that. And God has sent him something. Uh, An email. I mean, what did Isaiah experience during this time? You know, the Hebrew word for see means to envision. To see means to envision. And I believe that You know, for us to better understand the text, I believe that God gave Isaiah a vision. I don't know how it happened. Maybe through a dream. Maybe a trance. However it is given, it is a word from the Lord. The question for us today is, have you ever received a vision from the Lord? You know, some of you are having a trance right now while listening to this sermon. You are seeing the Lord in a dream. No, just kidding, okay? You know, we we know that... God gives each of us an opportunity to hear His Spirit. And in the case of Isaiah, Isaiah was given a vision from the Lord. I want to talk about three things about Isaiah's vision very quickly. Now, what did Isaiah see as a proof of God's trustworthiness for His covenant, for His people? Number one is, he saw the pinnacle of God. It was a pinnacle of God. You know, a pinnacle is actually the highest culminating point of a mountain or a structure. We, We read that earlier. You know, when, uh, when Isaiah uh, was uh, alive, he, he lived about 700 years before Christ, and the mountain that he had in view is Mount Zion, situated at the city of Jerusalem. I happened to uh, had a, you know, the blessing of visiting uh, that particular mountain, Mount Zion. And when you talk about that, scholars and theologians are actually interchanging the hill of Zion with the city of Zion, Jerusalem. And when you talk about Zion, Zion is not a tall mountain. Zion is actually just about 765 meters or about 2,500 feet above sea level. It is not the tallest of all mountains compared to this one. What's this mountain that you see in the bottom? Mount Everest. Mount Everest happens to be the tallest mountain in the world with a height of about 8,800 meters, almost 30,000 feet. Wow, in terms of elevation, how many of you know that Mount Everest is the peak? But yet Isaiah was talking about that the mountain of the Lord will be the tallest of all mountains. I mean, what does he mean by this? And on the mount on Mount Zion, as you know, Isaiah was seeing this, there stood a temple, the dwelling place of God, and there was a the house of the Lord at the time of Isaiah. It was before the the temple was destroyed. And Isaiah the prophet is referring to a time beyond this time though. But he was talking about the latter days. In verse 2 it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established as the highest of all mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. You know, and there are those that are looking at this verse and say that this somehow might be Literally be a physical temple of uh, of God that will be built on Mount Zion. You know, some I, I talked to some uh, pastors and some theologians. It depends on how you view it. You know, some people believe in the you know pre-mill, okay, premillennial or the post-mill, post-millennial, Ako, pro Okay. okay. Um, but, you know, some say that this is a figure of speech or a figurative, uh, like, uh, picture of the future. Some would say that this is actually a literal thing that will happen where the temple of the Lord will actually be there. But whatever it is, I believe that when you talk about the mountain or the temple of God, it talks about the presence of God. You know, it, it, Jesus asked some, somehow referred to this. You know, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the leaders of that day, he was talking about you know, this temple will be destroyed, but watch me raise it up again in three days. Remember that statement of Jesus? And they were saying, it took them many years for this temple to be built, but Jesus was not talking about the physical temple. He was talking about His temple, His body. So we see that even Jesus is talking about a different kind of temple. Because some theologians, though they believe that the physical temple or not, I believe that the temple represents the presence of God. That's what it means. It is the place where God dwells. Remember John chapter 1, verse 14? You know, and the word became flesh, and he what? Dwelt or he tabernacled among us. He lived among us. His presence was among us. And guess what? Today, as the church, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, where God lives and where God dwells. Remember the encounter of Jesus with the Samaritan woman by the well. And the Samaritan woman said, you know, the Samaritans worship our God in Mount Gerizim and you Jews worship the Lord in your mountain. But Jesus had to clarify the Samaritan woman. You know what? In John chapter 4, He said, you know, an hour is coming and it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Because the, the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in what? In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth means that we can actually worship the Lord anywhere. How many of you are glad that you can actually worship the Lord here in Festival Mall? Please raise your hand. Praise God. Can we give the Lord a hand? That we are able to worship the Lord and feel His presence. And how many of you, those of you watching from your own homes, how many of you are glad that you're also worshiping the Lord with us here? Because the presence of God is not limited to space and time. The presence of God is actually wherever the people of God meet. So we can worship the Lord in Alabang, in Cebu, in Beijing, in Spratly Islands, in California, in Europe. The presence of God is going to be there. And I believe that one day all the people will flock the mountain of the Lord when Jesus Christ returns. It'll be an awesome day. You know, we were talking about missions earlier and, you know, how Pastor Gilbert was able to raise up a church and raise up a leader for the church, Pastor Tom. And he's about to come back here in Manila and a new local is raised there. And how many of you know that is the desire of God for all the nations to know Him? for all the peoples of the earth to be brought to Him. And so we know that the people will one day flock the God, I mean, the, the mountain of God when, when Jesus returns. And let me just talk about, backtrack a, a little bit, you know. Wh- what does it mean for the mountains whenever we see mountains in Scripture? You know, when you talk about mountains, mountains play a very important role in salvation and redemption in biblical history. Okay, remember the time when Noah, inside the ark, after 40 days and nights of flood? Where did the ark rest after the flood? On a mountain. What's the name of the mountain? Mount Ararat. And here we see that, you know, the ark rested on Mount Ararat and saved eight in all. And God made a covenant with Noah that he will never destroy the earth with the universal flood again. And that mountain was a place of salvation for Noah. Moses met God in the burning bush, in Mount Horeb, in the wilderness. And God called him to be a deliverer of the nation of Israel from the bondage in Egypt. That mountain was a mountain of salvation. The Ten Commandments were given in Mount Sinai when they got out. And God said that this Commandments, when you obey it, it'll be blessing for your life. That mountain is a place of salvation. Amen. Remember Abraham? When God called him to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son he loved, Isaac, where did he go? Mount Moriah. And in that mountain, God met him, God met Isaac, and God provided a ram. And instead of him sacrificing his son Isaac, he sacrificed the ram instead. That mountain is a mountain of salvation. Remember Jesus? When he was going up the mountain of Calvary, the place of skull named Golgotha. And he had to carry the cross. But this particular time, God did not replace him with a ram. He himself was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That mountain. Is the mountain of salvation. Amen. If we put our trust in the Lord, we will actually be saved from our sins. Amen. Can we just appreciate the Lord right now? And for those of you who are watching, you might be facing a mountain of problems. And and it's interesting that Pastor Carlo, because he was prophetic, he actually talked about this earlier during the time of prayer. You may be facing mountains of deaths, mountains of fears, mountains of problems, you know, mountain of sin or maybe addiction or bondages. But I believe that despite the mountain of guilt, shame, your past, maybe you have mountain of hopelessness. I declare today that by the grace of God, He will save you from whatever mountain you're facing right now. Amen. Come on now. And I believe that the Spirit of God, the presence of God, will allow us to go up the mountain and meet God Himself. Because that mountain is the mountain of salvation of the Lord. That's the significance of mountains in the Scriptures. Second thing about this is the peoples of God. Everybody say peoples of God. And we, we read this on the second part of verse 2. And it says, And all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come. Everybody say, Come. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of the Jacob, you know, many peoples are invited to go up to the mountain. It's not an exclusive mountain for Israel. You know, and, and many nations, every nation, many nations will flow to it. What, what's interesting is you know, when you talk about water flow, water normally flows downstream, right? But in this particular case, it will flow up the mountain. The peoples of the world will flow up. You know, God will actually cause a certain pull, a pull of the world because this particular mountain will be attractive. It will be an upward flow of the nations, of the peoples of the earth towards that mountain. And I believe that God did not just purpose for one nation to be saved, but He designed every nation to be saved. Amen? He wants to see every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every language, know who God is. And that's our call. It happens to be our name as well. We're part of the Every Nation Movement. I say I use the Hebrew term "goyim," which refers to peoples that are non-Jewish. You know, peoples in the biblical term refer to Gentiles, non-Jews, the nation outside the you know Abrahamic Covenant, Israel. That's us. How many of you are Jews? If you are a non-Jew, please raise your hand. You are a Gentile. We are Gentiles. We are Goyim. We're the peoples that Isaiah was referring to. That's us. Filipinos, Russians, Americans, Cambodians, British, Malaysians, and so on and so forth. God's inviting us. That's why we believe in world missions. We appreciate the work of God. He called us to invite other people to be saved so that they can have a relationship with God. And I believe that God will use each and every one of you watching to minister to the unsaved, so that they can also experience the salvation of God. Second part of that verse is, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You know, people will go up to the mountain of the Lord for the purpose of learning God's ways and walking God's paths. We're not just to learn. We're not just to know the truth. How many of you know that God calls us to walk the path? Because I believe that there has to be a consistency between our words and the way we live. Today, the Holy Spirit is the one teaching us. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We know that the Holy Spirit is here with us and He is our teacher He's our advocate, and He's the one sanctifying us. He's the one teaching us the Word. How many of you know that whenever we read the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand what it means? Amen? And He's the one teaching us. And I believe that that day will come, you know, this particular vision of Isaiah, that, you know, He will be the one, you know, Jesus will be the one to teach us personally the Word. You don't need theologians anymore by that time or commentators or pastors or apologists like Dr. June. We will all know and hear it straight from Him. We will know the truth and we will walk the truth. In 3 John 1, 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Do you know what is attractive to unbelievers? It's to see believers live out what we are preaching. That is what attracts them. One thing that turns them off is that we say something and live life differently. It turns them off. But every time that they look at us and when they see us walk the talk and have integrity in our speech and live a life of character representing Jesus... And they see that we have changed lives, that we are no longer the person that they used to know us. Ah, iba What happened to y'all? We are changed by the Holy Spirit. That's attractive to them. We must not walk in hypocrisy, but we must we must represent Christ. Because how many of you know we bear his name every single day? We're called Christians. And we're bearing the name of Christ wherever we go. That's why in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, it says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What does walking in the light mean? It means that we're ready to go and do good works. That's walking in the light. It means that we're not hiding something. It means that we're walking in integrity. It means that we want God to be glorified in everything that we do. It means that we're taking it seriously. Every opportunity that we have. So that we can minister to others with the love of Jesus. And last thing that Isaiah saw, and I want to end with this. Isaiah saw the pinnacle of God. Isaiah saw the peoples of God. Isaiah also saw the peace of God. And he was talking about, in verse 4, it says, And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. How many of you know that God will come as a righteous judge one day? He will be the one to decide who's right and who's wrong. He will come as a glorious king. Tamana na away. How many of you are as parents, you know, when your children are fighting, how many of you would say, that's enough. Enough is enough. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Enough. No more fighting. And I believe that when that time will come, the people of the earth, nations will not want to have wars anymore. And I call this real world peace. It's not just going to be the answer in beauty pageant, world peace. It's going to be a reality. When Jesus comes back to rule in this world, all kingdoms will literally submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. There will be no superpower nation before the Lord. All peoples will look to Jesus to resolve their conflict. He will bring the ultimate conflict resolution to the West Philippine Sea. Ay, salamat. You know, we're claiming the West Philippine Sea as ours, and China is calling it South China Sea for the longest time. And I don't know if Vietnam changed that to East Vietnam Sea, and Malaysia will change it to North Malaysian Sea. God, Jesus is the ultimate arbiter. It's not just about the nations versus nations. It's also about tribes versus tribes and race versus race. There's just so many conflicts arising from the difference of race. You know, Black Lives Matter, Asian hate, and all these things. How many of you know that, you know, God looks at all of us equally and loves us all the same? No matter what color you are, white, brown, yellow, you know, black, you know, all in between, purple, you know, you, God loves you. Do you have relational problems with your spouse, your family, friends? He will be the ultimate arbiter. Let Jesus step in. He will be the one to bring peace. We don't need to wait for the second coming to do that. How many of you know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? If you know Jesus, you walk with Him. All we just have to have is a heart of forgiveness and humility. Prince of Peace. Philippians talks about this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Everybody say humility. Humility, count others as more significant than yourselves or better than yourself. Follow the example of Christ. What's interesting is this last part in verse 4b that says, And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears and pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. How many of you are longing to have that time where nations will no longer fight each other, or even us in Philippines? We have I don't know how many dialects we have. Sometimes we compare ourselves that we're better, you know. People from Manila or people from Cebu or people from Mindanao or Davao whatever. You know, there's, there's going to be no more issue. There's going to be no need for the weapons of war. No need for warships or air force. There will be no need for any army. Only BTS will have an army by that time. Come on now. Can you imagine with me for a moment? And that day will come when we will all have peace. And all the instruments of death, swords, spears, will be turned into instruments of living. Pruning hooks. And, you know, uh, what do you call this? Uh, yun nga yun. Okay? For harvesting. Okay? okay. There'll be no more wars. No more need for guns. No more need for grenade launchers. No more need for F-16 fighter planes, nuclear subs, weapon of mass destruction, vibranium weapons, Captain America shield. No need for that anymore because it will be a perfect state of peace worldwide. And I believe that God wants us to have the ultimate peace. We can only have that if we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior in our hearts. That's the only way of peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And I believe that He came back so that He can reconcile us back to God. And He paid the ultimate price on the cross so that we can receive God's salvation. Do you want to receive God's peace today, for those of you who are watching? And I believe that in the world today that is full of trouble and sickness and wars and deaths, we want to have peace. The world does not have peace. But God said in, you know, Jesus said in John Peace I leave uh, to you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And I believe that in this season of pandemic, peace can sometimes be so elusive. But yet we know that as we put our trust in the Prince of Peace, that He is the one who can actually breathe life and peace to us, that no matter what we're going through right now. He will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Peace is not found in the absence of wars or in the absence of problems. Peace can only be found in Jesus. Even in the life's challenges that you have right now, you can still have peace. And I want to end with this story. You know, I remember one of our leaders, and oh, I miss Panzer Tumanan. He is actually one of those. That every time we have worship, he would actually be standing in the back shouting and, you know, just jumping and he would say, Yahoo! Worshipping the Lord. He battled cancer. And he passed away more than a year ago. But I believe that even during this time of bout with cancer, he continued to minister peace to the people around him. He was already in the hospital, he was talking about the Lord with his doctors and with his nurses. He was ministering peace and introducing to them the Prince of Peace. You know, he met the Prince of Peace many, many years. And the Prince of Peace stayed with him until the very last breath. That is what peace is all about. He had cancer in the midst of the problem. He walked in peace. And today, we can all have peace. No matter what you're going through right now, for those of you watching, there are many more like Panser who received the Prince of Peace in their life and have walked in problems, but yet in the midst of that, they thank the Lord. Because ultimately, as I end, Jesus saves us and gives us the ultimate peace. For those of you who'd like to receive Jesus Christ and you'd like to receive peace, I'd like to invite you to pray with me right now. Can we just bow our heads as we end? For those of you watching at home, if you need peace, it can only be brought to us by having a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Follow along with me. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner needing a savior. And I thank you for going to the mountain of God in Calvary and sacrificing yourself as the Lamb of God that is able to wash my sins and purify me like snow and give me the opportunity to be called a child of God. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe these raised from the dead. Lord, I thank you that from this day on, I can actually have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalabangchurch.